You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We must protect Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas at all costs. He is America's leading moral compass. He is this generation's Frederick Douglass. He is that important, and the left wants him dead. Happy Friday, and welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. I'm going to back up and justify that statement I just made about Clarence Thomas. He is our Frederick Douglass. The left does want him dead. His life is in jeopardy. We must protect him at all costs. I just want to start with just showing you a bit of the vitriol that's being tossed at Clarence Thomas. Here's Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, a Democrat politician saying F Clarence Thomas to a crowd. Now we know what happened with the Supreme Court yesterday. And if you read Clarence Thomas concurrence, he said, thank you, Clarence Thomas. Here's Whoopi Goldberg going after Clarence Thomas on The View. We were not in the Constitution either. Well, we were not even people he is in the Constitution. nothing is pressing what, anymore. Well, wait, you wait, better wait, hope Clarence. that they don't come for you, Clarence, and say you should not be married to your wife, oh. who happens to be white, because they will move back. And you better hope That's that nobody it. says, you know, well, you're not in the Constitution. You're back to being a quarter we're of a back person. back to the 50s. That's not going to work either. Here's Hillary Clinton going after Clarence Thomas. Justice Thomas has sort of floated that out there about contraceptive rights, yes. contraception, and about same-sex marriages. But other justices have pushed back to say, no, he's really sort of on his own with that. Well, Don't he, believe that? Well, he may be on his own, but he's signaling, as he often did. You know, people—I went to law school with him. Mm -hmm. He's been— a person of grievance for as long as I've known him. Resentment, grievance, anger. And he has signaled uh, in the past to lower courts, to state legislatures, find cases, pass laws, get them up. I may not win the first, the second, or the third time, but we're going to keep at it. So you're saying people pay attention to yes, this? Yes, the people he is speaking to, which are the, you know, right-wing, very conservative judges and justices and state legislatures. And the thing that uh, is—well, there's so many things about it that are deeply distressing, but women are going to die, Gail. Women will die. Look, man, 
when they are trying to stir the pot, when they're trying to set an atmosphere for a man to be harmed, particularly a black man, they do it with women. Again, when, when someone is about to be lynched, when someone is, is a target, they justify it with women. They've been after Clarence Thomas with women from the very beginning, from Anita Hill. It's not a coincidence that all these women are coming out against Clarence Thomas. He did not write the majority opinion in the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Alito did. But Clarence Thomas is the target. Clarence Thomas is the person the left wants to stir up enough chaos, division, animosity, anger towards so that some nut job takes him out. If you go back to when Jen Psaki was the spokesperson for uh, Joe Biden and she wouldn't put a stop, she wouldn't say, hey, look, the president and, and our administration were completely against all this protest and this civil disobedience outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. That was when they were protesting outside Brett Kavanaugh's house and someone tried to harm Brett Kavanaugh. But the number one target is Clarence Thomas. And he's the number one target because black men, our journey, our purpose as America's moral compass is why America became the envy of the world. And there has been one man and yes, he's flawed, and sure, I'm sure he's made mistakes, he's not a perfect person, but there's been one man willing to step up in those same shoes as Frederick Douglass, as Booker T. Washington, as Martin Luther King, and it's Clarence Thomas. He is our moral compass right now for this country, pushing America to a better place, and the left wants to stop it. Delano, uh, Welcome to the show. Love to have you on back-to-back -back days like that. This is a treat. You just wrote a column uh, yesterday about Clarence Thomas. Uh, you've been on the Clarence Thomas-Frederick Douglass analogy for mm -hmm. a year, six months or whatever, but please break down what you wrote uh, yesterday uh, about Clarence Thomas and his importance to America right now. Sure. I mean, you, you teed it up perfectly, right? I see uh, Justice Thomas as continuing, continuing in that line from, from Frederick Douglass to Booker T. Washington. In some respects, I would even argue more so than Dr. King. I would argue even Malcolm X. Um, and and he, he, I think, is the inheritor of that mantle, and that mantle being specifically the, the fight for black self-respect and dignity. And I think one of the reasons that the left Democrats hate him so much is because he reveals the, the craftiness of their schemes. And when I say that, Jason, you know, you've heard me say that our current uh, situation around race in this country is a symbiotic relationship between white liberals seeking absolution for sins they didn't commit and black liberals seeking empathy for injustices that they didn't endure. Now, what Justice Thomas does, he comes along and through his life and his writings, demonstrates clearly 
that the left actually does not believe in racial equality. They believe in social hierarchy. And you know this because every time it comes to black folk, they have a totally separate um, set of rules than they do for everybody else. Uh, and you see this, his rejection of this in his um, dissent in, in the University of Michigan affirmative action case, where he opens by quoting Douglas, who, while arguing for abolition, answers the question, what shall we do with the, with the Negro once emancipated? And Douglas says, do nothing with us, right? If the apples won't uh, stay on the tree or, or on their own accord, then let them fall, right? Because Douglas believed in the ability for black people, as is the case for everyone else, to do for themselves and to rise and fall on, on their own uh, hard work, right? Obviously, in, you, you can be in partnership with your fellow man your neighbors, your family, other people who have good intentions for you. But that's different than um, becoming uh, you know, a client class of a benevolent welfare state or, ben or benevolent white allies. So what, what Justice Thomas does is say, look, black people are equal to everyone else because we have the same creator. And as American citizens, we have the same rights and responsibilities as every other citizen. And anytime someone tries to move Right? Those, those scales of justice or tilt them and say, well, we believe in black equality, but that means that black people get to be evaluated by a lower standard to get into the, the highest uh, sort of performing schools. We believe in black equality, but that means that when a white guy commits a crime, he is judged as an individual. Right? His morality is judged based on his actions. But when a black guy commits a crime, he is just the unwitting participant, he, he's, he's, he's basically a force of, uh, he, he was forced into his particular situation by systemic forces, environment, and I think Justice Thomas rejects all of that. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that the left hates him. And the cherry on top is that they see him as the person, the most conservative justice on the court, which he is, and also the person who is standing in the doorway blocking them from accessing the, the most sacred right, right, the sacrament of modern leftist religion, which is abortion. Um, for 50, over 50 years, Roe versus Wade was in place, and the left, men and women, have gotten accustomed to parroting talking points about a woman's right to choose, and, and every cliche you can think about. And what he has done, I think, is serve as the, the tip of the spear to argue on constitutional grounds that there is no uh, federal right, constitutional right to an abortion. And I think they realize that they're losing both the constitutional fight and the moral fight, and they hate him for that. My journalism career basically started at the same time as Clarence Thomas versus Anita Hill. I believe that's 1991 or 92. Uh, that's at the very beginning of my journalistic career. And, and so, and I remember, and, and at that time, I don't know if I was totally on board with Anita Hill, but I do know at that time, I bought the narrative that Clarence Thomas was incompetent and a puppet for white people. I know I bought that narrative and wasn't a big supporter and fan of Clarence Thomas uh, and, and for many years, that's how I felt. And, and even when my thoughts began to mature 
and I realized like, well, hold on, I share a lot of the same values, same outlook. I don't need no affirmative action. I, I'll never, I'm working at the Charlotte Observer during that uh, congressional hearing or whatever. And, and I, I can remember that when I got hired at the Charlotte Observer, the woman that offered me the job, one of the first things she referenced to me was that I was affirmative action hire. And I said to her, stop the writer, I was like, hey, look, if I'm not good enough for this job, don't give it to me. Because they made me come down or asked me to. I wouldn't say made. They asked me to come down and do a two-week tryout before giving me this job. I did the two-week tryout. And then the woman sat in front of me and told me that they were doing me a favor through affirmative action. Hire, and I was like, well, hold on. I just did this two-week trial. Either I'm good enough for the job or I'm not. Don't hand me any charity. We got in a dispute as she's offered me the job because I've always been an outspoken idiot to some degree. And, and so even at a time when I'm uncomfortable with Clarence Thomas, I got the same attitude as him. Like, I don't want nothing I haven't earned, and you can't sit here in front of me and say I haven't earned it when I know that I have. And, I, and, I, and so it's so funny that, because that's really the first full-time job I got was at the Charlotte Observer. The Clarence Thomas thing is going on. I'm not a fan of Clarence Thomas, but my mindset is exactly the same as his, and it took years later for me to get comfortable with that and understand. And so I, I was reading your piece and you indicated that for a while you had a similar negative view on Clarence Thomas. Yeah, absolutely. And Jason, I think unless you are a black person who grew up in a staunchly conservative Republican household, at some point you have have viewed Clarence Thomas with with a skeptical eye because that, that's just that's just been the tide of of black culture and American culture generally speaking, but definitely a black culture. And you know, I, I was about ten years old when when he was you know confirmed to the Supreme Court somewhere in that age range. So I don't remember it particularly well, but I'm sure I was sympathetic to you know what Anita Hill was saying. Now going back and looking back in history, I realized that she never alleged that he touched her or he forced himself on her. At worst, it was that he told some off-color jokes, right? That's the worst. I held that sympathy for Anita Hill until I saw her on Meet the Press, I think with, with Tim Russert, um, I, think, I believe that's his, his name, late journalist from M N NBC. And he was asking her about Bill Clinton and the allegations against him. And Anita Hill, and I'm paraphrasing, basically said, well, sometimes there are things that are more important than a person's personal conduct. And Bill Clinton might be the best option for us because there are bigger issues that women are facing. And I said, oh, two things became immediately clear. One, that is not the way people who've been victimized speak. It's typically, if, if, particularly if you're a woman and you feel you face sexual abuse, you are always sympathetic to the, to the cases of other women in your position. But two, it became clear to me, sounds like the same thing with you, where it's, this was always about politics, right? And as you said, they use at this at that particular time a black woman to attack Clarence Thomas. And I and and you have Senator um, um, Edward Kennedy 
right? He has his own history with, with women. Nobody accused Clarence Thomas of leaving a, a, a dead woman or leaving a woman to die in, in a creek outside of his house. You have Joe Biden and all sorts of allegations against him. And it was one of those things where when I saw that clip from Anita Hill, that was probably the last chain that was on me as it relates to my views on Justice Thomas. And I had the pleasure of meeting him actually twice in the last couple of months um, at a conference, you know, for around black conservatives. So it brought together people like Glenn Lowry and Shelby Steele and Bob Woodson and Jason Riley and Ian Rowe and, and, and our own Shamika Michelle and some other people who we know were there. And a couple of things became clear to me. One, he, he is affable, good natured. He seemed to be intensely interested in the people he was talking to. He had the, the loudest laugh and the loudest clap of anybody in the conference. And it was sort of set up like a, a, a lecture hall. And he was as engaged as anyone else, totally devoid of any sense of pretension or, or you know, oh, look at me, I'm a Supreme Court justice. He, he, he sat there, he participated like a regular person. The only time he left is when one of the sessions had to do with uh, affirmative action. So obviously it was a case that had come before him. But he was the most good-natured, at-peace person that I've been around in a long time. And that is a completely different person than what the left, the picture the left has painted over the last 30 years. So I, I was glad I got a chance to meet him and shake his hand and speak to him briefly. And, and I did not see a man who bent his back for anyone. And that's one of the things that I think the left resents. And it's similar, Jason, you know, we, we've, we've, sort of, we've probably gone into this on, and this may seem separate, but it's, it's, it's really the same. It's a similar dynamic between Clarence Thomas and the left as, as it is between um, traditional masculine men and independent women. Both the, the white left and the masculine man has been told since birth that the other person depends on them for their safety, for their security, for their provision. And when you feel like somebody depends on you for the the prog for progress in their own life and they turn to you and say actually i don't really need you that throws a person off and you have to learn how to deal with that person as an equal as opposed to someone you know for whom you can you you can sort of act in a paternalistic manner and what white liberals don't know how to do is to deal with black people as equals because as i said they've set up a social hierarchy now they they hide it by claiming it's racial equality, but you know in, in sports, if every time a white or Asian player came down the basketball court and the referee stopped the game and lowered the, the the hoop to nine feet, we would know that this game is not equal. So every time you see the left wanting to institute a lower standard of of conduct, of behavior, of performance, of evaluation for black folk, you know that they don't truly see us as equals. And when a man comes and says, I'm not bending my back, I'm not mincing my words, I'm telling you exactly how I feel, and I don't care what you think about me, that throws them off their game. Delano, I'm going to say something, but I'm going to let you go because it may be too secular for, for okay. what I'm going to say. And, and then okay. I need to get to Judge Joe Brown and, and okay. get his take. But thank you so much. But I, you, I just want the last final straw for me as it relates to Clarence Thomas was <clears throat> Andrew Gillum, the guy that ran for governor down in Florida, 
in a race with Ron DeSantis. And, and it really, again, and I was already there, but it just really crystallized for me. Andrew Gillum, the left loves. That's the black man the left loves. Will bend over and take it up the ass on command. Caught in a hotel room with drugs, dildos, gay prostitute, loving. He was gonna be the next president. He's the perfect governor for Florida. That's who they love, drugs and gay and compromised. Sell him as, oh, he's brilliant, he's smart. Clarence Thomas, his crime, his crime is that he tried to get in the panties of an attractive black woman 40, 50 years ago. And his attempt to get in the panties was a couple of crude jokes. That's his crime, and they hate Clarence Thomas for that. But Andrew Gillum, that's the ideal black man, perfect guy to run governor, could be president of the United States of America, drugged up, gay prostitute, married, that's the perfect black man. Crystallizes everything for me and should for you. If Clarence Thomas's biggest crime is that 40 years ago he tried to get in the panties of an attractive black woman and you got a problem with him over that, that's a you problem. That ain't Clarence Thomas's problem. That's your problem. All right, before I get to Judge Joe Brown, let me take care of some business. Uh, the 4th of July is almost here, and you need to be ready. Go get your fireworks and celebrate an American holiday with 100% American meat. It's easy to get good fireworks. There's a vendor on every corner, but getting high-quality American meat isn't as easy. Over 85% of the grass-fed beef you find in stores is imported from overseas. No, this Indep Independence Day, Instead, grill up 100% American prime ribeye from Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is an award-winning subscription company that delivers American meat to your door. They sell steakhouse quality beef, chicken, and seafood that's superior to what you're buying at the grocery store right now. Good Ranchers is putting free in freedom with two free prime ribeyes with every order that uses my code FEARLESS. You can do a one-time purchase to try it out or as I suggest, subscribe and get $25 off every box for the life of your subscription. It's an amazing product delivered right to your door every four, six, or eight weeks. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless or use my code fearless at checkout to get your two free 18-ounce ribeyes. Shop Good Ranchers today. It's American meat delivered. Judge Joe Brown, X. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's get to it. I'm very honored uh, to have Judge Joe Brown uh, join the show, former criminal court judge, 
very famous uh, 3,000 episodes of the Judge Joe Brown Show, 15 seasons. Uh, who better to talk to about uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas than Judge Joe Brown? Uh, Joe, I've been uh, arguing today that the left is trying very hard to stir up animosity, derision, and potentially violence against Clarence Thomas. I I'm wondering how you see the reaction and the, the vitriol and the animus being directed at Clarence Thomas. Oh, I find it fascinating that the far left and the Democratic Party plantation is showing their true origins. Uh, they like that N-word, don't they? It is no <laughs> excuse that <laughs> some deluded colored folk like to use it against themselves. But anyway, it's a horrible word. And even when folks say to use it empowers you, that's not true. Subconsciously, all of those negatives are still up there. And when they use the word, they put those negatives deeper inside their own skulls and when somebody else uses it is really bad so wow anyway i'm not a great fan of clarence thomas though i think he really kind of redeemed himself a little bit with that second amendment decision he wrote coming out of new york city and some of the other people don't like his ruling on abortion well they didn't outlaw it. They just simply said it's no longer to be considered a constitutional matter of privacy, demanding protection just off of that. The thing that scares me is the Fourth Amendment impact, search and seizure, that has depended upon Oh, I guess it's about a 60-year-old U.S. Supreme Court ruling that says a person is entitled to privacy where they have a reasonable expectation of privacy. That being the case, they were talking about a phone booth, and they said you still needed a search warrant to tap the phone. Well, if you say privacy is not constitutionally recognized right, then such decisions go out of the window. So we'll see how that comes about. I'm glad I don't have to practice law anymore. I'm glad I don't have to sit on the bench administering it anymore. Let's see what Judge, the new Judge, breed of lawyers does. Judge, let me ask you that you say you haven't been the biggest fan of Clarence Thomas, why not? <laughs> you want the black version or do you just want the generic version? Uh, I, w I want the often, truth. Too often what he did was wrapped up in what the late Scalia did. Scalia was deemed brilliant by a number of people, but as a presiding judge, the problem was is that his rulings gave no guidance to the entirety of the justice system uh, upon which they could 
gets guiding, get guiding principles. In other words, too often what he wanted was on an ad hoc basis without setting a general principle. And that's what the Supreme Court is supposed to do, set general principles. That being the case, I think the one on the Second Amendment was well done. And uh, that's one of the few things that I have uh, to give to him is that they tried to recruit me to his law school before he even applied. I didn't know what I was going to do then. And I took the LSAT because... I had some choices to make. This was back in the 60s. And I didn't even know what I did on it until I started getting all of these letters from all of these law schools, including Yale, about coming on board. And I said, well, why? They said, well, you are a black person who can get in the front door through regular admissions. We'd like to give you a lot of money if you would help us set up an affirmative action program. Well, five feet of snow was on the ground, and I lived in Los Angeles, California. And quite frankly, I had a girlfriend that had just put me down. I was trying to get back with. She was drop-dead gorgeous, and I was trying to resume the relationship. So I stayed in sunny California at UCLA, where I had been an undergrad. Now, I kept up with Clarence Thomas two years after that. He had applied to Yale and gotten accepted. And he was not one of our favorite people. He was going around the country speaking against affirmative action. And we didn't like that. Now, affirmative action in California was just as per the California Constitution. When California became a state in 1851, their Constitution said all communities require leadership. Admission to the University of California shall not just be based on academic proficiency, but also on leadership potential. California wanted to set up leadership in science, industry, technology, math, politics, medicine, and in the communities. It said our Spanish brethren who have been so oppressed by gangs need to develop effective leadership. Our colored brethren, who have so recently escaped the horrors of slavery, should be allowed to have uh, effective leadership. And we always took that as we want to get people in who match the traditional standards, which in California were a competitive assessment of grade point average, aptitude test, and or other factors that indicated an ability to succeed. Now, generally, California's universities took that other factors so that they could get athletes in. So they didn't have a bunch of nerds out on the football field or the basketball courts. We said, well, we needed it for minorities so that so white people can understand this. Your daughter is a little airhead. You kept telling her about watch your gas gauge. Don't get stuck on E and she's driving back with her friends, girls. And it's 
uh, 2.37 a.m. in the morning and, oh, my God, oh, my God, we're out of gas. We need to get off the freeway and tank up. So when she got off the freeway and pulled into the first gas station, the people that were likely to be around there would be people who were led by educated, effective leaders, not your thugs, your pimps, your robbers, your drug dealers. And you see, that was to implement public peace. Now, back to Clarence Thomas here, his honor. We didn't like him when he was going around the country speaking out against and attacking affirmative action when the truth of the matter is he got in Yale on their first program of affirmative action. He worked in the state attorney general's office in a state he was in nearby, and they had a rule that you got waived into the bar if you graduated from Yale, so you didn't have to take the bar exam. He worked in the tax department for that state attorney general's office. He never was in court, never tried a case. And in 1980, the Reagan administration was looking for somebody to be hatchet man to Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Now, at that point, I had worked for EEOC and I knew what it was about. It was not a bad thing. It did a lot of good, but the Reagan administration wanted to kill it, so they put that hatchet man in place, Clarence Thomas. He wasn't old enough at that point in time to really have the position. He had no administrative experience. He had never been in a courtroom, but they put him in charge of this big organization that had all of these retired vets in it and all of these former school teachers and lawyers and other folk who were trying to make a difference. And Clarence Thomas went around and tried to destroy the organization. Well, fortunately, he didn't do it. But EEOC now is very much a gutted version of what it used to be. So if you want to prosecute uh, an equal employment problem now, thanks to Clarence Thomas and the administration of Reagan, well, You have to practically not need it because you need to have so much money in order to prosecute a case now that most people are priced out of being able to do anything. And the red tape has gotten ridiculous. So you can thank Clarence Thomas for that. He's been on the Supreme Court and he replaced Thurgood Marshall after Thurgood Marshall retired. Now, Thurgood Marshall was a great man. They asked him about that, and he said, I can't comment on that because it would be unethical. But, and in his gravelly voice, he said this, let me just say this, a black snake will bite you just as quick as a white one. And that was Clarence Thomas. Now, (laughs) what can I say? The Black Bar Association, the National Bar Association, you know, we don't do American, we do national. National Medical Association, National Dental Association. I don't know what the hell the NBA is about because they still have white folk in that one. But anyway, 
that national organization, National Bar Association, they don't particularly like uh, Brother Clarence Thomas, his honor Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, but he did pretty well with that Second Amendment. So he came up with some interesting extrapolations, which I was surprised at, but not surprised because I predicted them as well. And that was if you revisit the privacy considerations that would declare abortion being a matter of the constitutional rights of women, and you got rid of the privacy basis, then that would also lead into outlawing gay marriage. Now, frankly, I don't see anything gained by gay marriage that couldn't be done just as effectively with a pre-relationship contract. Probably more effective. So it is what it is, and I don't have anything against gay people getting their freak on in their bedrooms, but we've got this quasi-religious thing, LGBTQ, the cult, and it is trying to insinuate itself as the national religion. You can't have an American flag with a cross under it, a crescent and a star under it, or a six-point star under it, but you can have an American flag with a rainbow flag under it. And by the way, that's illegal under American law, but you can see that at any embassy or consulate in the world. Now, as I said, I don't care what gay folk do in their own bedrooms, get their freak on, enjoy yourself, more power to you. But I do not like some of the policy, social, political, or economic, that the people who support that do. And they're also trying to make it a religion. Now, you have Judaism, you have Islam, you have Christianity, you have, um, oh, Buddhism, you have Confucianism, you have the Indian religions, but several of those don't have a God. They're a system of philosophy. So LGBT becomes a system of philosophy that is trying to oppose, impose itself as of an official religion. Now, he is their bete noir, literally, Clarence Thomas. So they don't like him, and I think the type of attacks you're seeing against him reflect some of the true pro proclivities of some of the people who are on that far left side. I mean, it's their business, but, you know, it's the 21st century. Come on out the closet. Don't hide. We need to know who you are so we understand what motivates your politics and economics. <laughs> We've got a lot of confusion right now. And as some gay folk have told me, just because somebody is gay doesn't mean they support LGBTQ. I said, explain. It said like being a Christian. That didn't mean that you supported Branch Davidian or you supported Reverend Jim Jones and drinking Kool-Aid at a church picnic, you know. And that doesn't mean if you're Islamic, you support Al-Qaeda or ISIS. 
So it, it, it's a big thing going on. We are in transition. Certain elements have destroyed so much of the culture that's here, black, white, brown, red, yellow, particularly as it attain, uh, pertains to masculinity, that a lot of people are grasping to see if they can find something that gives them a foundation and something to settle on. And everybody's not Christian. Everybody's not Muslim. Everybody's not Jewish. Everybody's not Hindu. And some people just want something to anchor them so they can get some sense of purpose, which is lacking today. But be glad we get to see what we get to see. All right, well, Judge, uh, sorry about the technical difficulties with my mic. Great <laughs> soliloquy, monologue, filibuster. I knew that's what we were going to get from Judge Joe Brown. I just wanted to lay back, let him get it off his chest. It was actually good. You know, obviously Delano and I, big supporters of Clarence Thomas, it's good to hear a dissenting view. Uh, and hey, that's our Friday show. Uh, I think I hear uh, tomorrow playing. And so uh, that means we'll see you next week. Just wanna have free